0: Heavenly Father, Lord, we come again before your holy presence, and Lord, we come to worship you, and we come to worship your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has set us free from sin and condemnation, and who is calling his people from all corners of the world that they may come and believe and be saved for the gospel is the gospel only because the work is completely done we have nothing that we bring in our own hands to add to the gospel to improve it or to make it better for the gospel cannot be made better it's already excellent as given so lord i pray that you grant faith and repentance to all your people and even through the preaching of this word to those who shall hear as many as have been appointed to hear this message and as many as have been appointed to eternal life and lord we thank you for this hour again of going into your Word. May you speak to us through your Spirit. May you speak to us by opening our hearts and minds that we may hear about the things of Christ. For there is a hearing of the ear that profits nothing and the hearing of the Spirit. And we ask, Lord, that you grant us hearing of the Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We are in the book of John. We are in the book of John. And we are still working our way through the discussion that Jesus had with Nicodemus. And this is a discussion that is very important for us to understand. Because as we know as Christians, two of the most well-known verses in Christianity, come from the book of John, chapter three. You must be born again, and John three sixteen. And yet, people ignore John three verse three, five, and seven. You must be born again. They love John three sixteen, but there's no John three sixteen without you must be born again. John three sixteen is in. Outworking is a development of you must be born again. And Jesus is teaching Nicodemus, but he's not just teaching Nicodemus, Jesus is teaching all his people that whatever is happening with Nicodemus is true of all men. All need to be born again if they are to see the kingdom of God. And for us to continue to develop the understanding, because Jesus said all these things in one conversation, but there's a whole lot more there to understand, so we have to approach it in pieces. We, we have to take down one verse at a time to try and understand what it is that the Lord was teaching us. So today, we are going to be in John 3, verse 16 to 21. John 3:16 to verse 21 and our title is he who believes is not condemned. He who believes is not condemned. So to John 3:16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him whoever believes in him is not condemned but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true Comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So Jesus is on a mission to sort out heavenly things and salvation not only for Nicodemus but for everyone else, for everyone else who is born on this earth everyone else who is born on this side of eternity. And we know that Nicodemus has gotten himself in trouble by saying things about Jesus that he has no clue about. Nicodemus has thought to make a confession about Jesus when Jesus or the Father had not yet revealed jesus to him nicodemus as we learned is a religious powerful influential and morally righteous man he is a pharisee and a jew and so in his mind salvation is a done deal he is a descendant of abraham he has all the covenants of god so to him If he dies, he is going straight to heaven. But Jesus comes and pulls the rag from underneath his feet and says, No, Nicodemus, salvation requires more than your bloodline. Salvation requires more than your social, your religious, your political and economic privileges and your connections salvation nicodemus is not about what you can do because you have not such ability in yourself but i will tell you what has to happen for you to be born again i will tell you what has to happen for you to see the kingdom of god nicodemus you need to be born again why do you need to be born again because you have a particular problem and it's a huge problem And the problem is you are born in the wilderness of sin. You're born in the wilderness of sin and darkness where there's no spiritual food or spiritual water. And unless Christ brings the water and brings the food that is from heaven, Nicodemus and all that are in this wilderness are going to die. Therefore, you, Nicodemus, need a new beginning. You need a new creation that is from heaven. But there's more to understand. This new creation, Nicodemus, does not just happen. The new creation happens when the Son of Man has been raised up. The Son of Man has to be raised up. And you, Nicodemus, has to look to the Son of Man that you may live. So Jesus Christ is the person whose work is the basis of this new birth. And this work of the new birth is complicated work because it has someone who is descending from heaven, who is in heaven and yet on earth, who is the son of man, who is the ladder between heaven and earth. It's complicated work. Nicodemus, you cannot understand these things I have been talking to you about earthly things. Now I'm talking spiritual. Nicodemus, you cannot understand these things. And this is the reason why you need to be born again. But when you have been born again, this shall be easy for you to understand. Because you only understand by faith. If you believe Nicodemus, you shall be saved. So a new birth does not just happen free of charge you do not name and claim the new birth and it doesn't come free of charge someone has to be raised up someone has to be raised up just as moses raised up the serpent just as moses raised up the bronze serpent on a pole so that those who were beaten and were dying could live. So Jesus also has to be raised up on the cross by the hands of man. And he has to die so that the believing can have eternal life. So, yes, God commanded Moses to make the bronze serpent. God did not say, here is the bronze serpent. God commanded Moses to make the bronze serpent. Why? Because men were the ones who were going to raise Christ on the cross. God did not say, look there, I have raised a bronze serpent. He said, you raised the bronze serpent. Why? Because Christ, the one that was typified in the raising of the bronze serpent, was going to be raised up on the cross That he may die and save his people. But the ones that look, the ones that look are the ones that know that they have the venom of the serpent running in their blood. They know they are sinners and they know they are dying. They know that they need something beyond themselves. And if any find themselves aware of their need for righteousness, then Christ will profit them. If anyone find themselves in the place where they need righteousness, they realize that they can't work righteousness in and by themselves, then Christ can profit them. But before they can know that they have been beaten by the deadly venom of sin, sinners need to be spiritually awakened to this reality. And this spiritual awakening does not come from the will or the power of man, but it comes from the will and power of God. Sinners need to be born again that they may be able to see Jesus Christ as their only remedy that God has raised up for them to look to for salvation. And as long as they are not born again, Jesus will continue to be out of view. Jesus will continue to be out of view. And this is the problem of the world. The problem of the world is that they do not know that salvation is only in Christ. There's no salvation in marriage. There's no salvation in money. There's no salvation in political power. There's no salvation in Anything that men do. But even though men do this, they are not just accumulating things for the sake of accumulating them. They are trying to find a way of salvation in the things that they've accumulated. And Jesus says, no way. That's not how you get salvation. Salvation is only had by faith in me based on what I've done. So John would come and record for us the words of Jesus in John 3, 16 and say, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whomever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So the demonstration of God's love towards this world is in the way that he has provided a way out of condemnation. And if we have to understand God's love, we have to understand what is wrong with this world. And the word there translated word is cosmos. That's the Greek word, cosmos. Okay. What's wrong with the world? And what is this world? The world consists of the ungodly multitude, the whole mass of men alienated from God alienated from God and hostile to the cause of God and his Christ, as we read from Psalm 2. The rulers of the world, they gather together against the Lord and his anointed. So the world, the cosmos, is this sinful sphere, this sinful domain that is inhabited by man. Just the very fact that men are inhabiting this world means this is a sinful and dying world. I've been reading about scientists talking about going to Mars and populating Mars. They're thinking that maybe if we go to Mars, we're going to find life and better life on Mars When we know there's not even any water on Mars. There are no trees on Mars. And there are no animals on Mars. I am not going to Mars. I'm staying here until the Lord comes. There's running water here on earth. There are creatures here. There's life here on earth. I'm not going to Mars. But when men are thinking of doing that, they are still working salvation. They are trying to work salvation. Guess what? From Mars, they intend to go to another planet. But what they don't realize that is that you can't run away from condemnation. Whether you die or not, you can't run away from the judgment of God that is on all sinners. So this world is that which is inhabited by the children of darkness. It is this spiritual arena that is run by principalities and powers. That is the fallen angels. There is a lot of activity of the fallen angels in this darkness. And we know that the chief head of the fallen angels is the devil and we know, we are told by Apostle Paul in Ephesians, that we were doing the bidding of the devil. The prince of the power of the air. So apostle Paul would even also say in Ephesians 6:12 for our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers against the powers against the world forces of this darkness against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places so this world as a spiritual system is driven by forces of darkness, which means it is a sinful world that is energized by fallen spirits and fallen humanity. The only reason why fallen spirits have a hold on man is because we are the fallen. The fallen spirits have no power over the holy angels. They have no power over all that are righteous and holy. And because of that, those who inhabit this world have no hope of ever coming out of this world by their own power and resources. They are so dominated by this dark spiritual world that they are blinded. To all things righteous. And not only that. They are also helpless. But there is a much bigger problem. That affects this world. There is a much bigger problem. That affects this world. And it is that. God has placed it. Under condemnation. Under the condemnation of death. And he also has condemned. The fallen spirits. But Our problem is not the fallen spirits. Our problem is we are sinners ourselves. And we have received the judgment of condemnation in Adam. So those who are born and die in this world are destined to perish. They are destined to be destroyed by God's judgment. So this world system is not morally or spiritually good. And God's righteous judgment on it is that all who live in it should be completely destroyed. This means there's no one who comes into this world with pockets of moral goodness. There's no one who is living on some kind of island of righteousness by themselves. So the best that this world can give only result in death and nothing else this wages of sin is death and so the only payment the only payment that this world can give you after everything is said and done after having been a celebrity you made all the millions or the billions you have seen everything that the eye can see this world you have been as successful as Michael Jackson you have been as successful as Oprah and company at the end of it the judgment is death the judgment is death so God's love towards this dying sinful hopeless world is that in spite of its wretchedness and condemnation God has sent his very own son, Jesus Christ, to deliver it not only from the principalities and the powers and the devil, but to deliver it from condemnation. That is the way God has expressed his love towards us. His love is not in the things that money can buy. His love towards us is that he has sent his very own son that he may lift the state of condemnation that is on each and every person on earth. Amen. So God has sent his son to deliver you from sin, from the power of sin, from the curse of the law, and from death, from the fear of death, and from the judgment of of God that is the heart of the gospel that is the heart of the gospel and if we minimize those things and say well Christ has died to give us all these material things we are being fleshly we are moving away from what God is saying here so Apostle Paul would say even when the Lord Jesus Christ was on the cross that he disarmed the principalities and powers and made a public spectacle of them. So the cross was the means by which God defeated all the fallen spiritual realm that would have continued to dominate you and helped you to go to hell without fail. So God's love to the world was by sending his son that he may provide us a way out God's love towards the world is not, as I said, in accumulating the things of the world, the stuff of life, and calling it blessing. And then name it and claim it. You don't name and claim righteousness. You don't name and claim salvation. It has to be given you. You must be born again. So if we have to have right understanding, if we have to see Christ for who He is, we have to understand that the blessing of God is that He has provided a way where there was no way. He has provided a way to cross the Red Sea where there was no way. He has provided a way for you to get to the other end in peace. So the things of life are are just things and stuff. Let's not put the gospel and bring confusion and cloud the work of Christ by our silliness. And in sending His Son, God is acknowledging that the problems of the world cannot be conquered by anyone who is not His Son. They cannot be conquered by the most powerful angels. And certainly cannot be conquered by some very moral religious people. And certainly not by man's free will. And whether your will is free or not is not the reason why you get saved. The issue is not whether your will is free or not. Whether your will is free or not does not help to get you the righteousness that God accepts. The issue of salvation is not about your will. The issue of salvation is that you need a righteousness that is equal to the righteousness of God. The issue of salvation is that whether your will is free, whether you've sinned or not, you still need Jesus. The holy angels never sinned. They need Jesus. You have sinned. You need Jesus. There's no one in all of the created world who does not need Jesus. So the word needs this one, who has descended from heaven, who is also in heaven, the son of man, the Lord Jesus Christ. So God gives, he gives, his only begotten son, his unique son. The uniqueness of the sonship of Christ is that he is God. That's where the uniqueness is coming from. He is unique because He alone is God the Son, the only one of His kind. And the sonship of Jesus is not talking about gender, He's not talking about His male or female. The sonship of Christ is talking about His preeminence, He is preeminent above all things he is the one who has all the full rights of god because he is god so a lot of people say oh he is he is the son of god because he was a male child yes god is pictured in the scriptures as male but here god is saying this jesus has the fullness and the rights of God as God the Son. So God sends to this dying and dead world his most treasured possession. His own son to perform the dirty work of cleaning sin. And you could never clean your sin by yourself. There are not enough gloves to wear to prevent the condemnation. And there's not enough bleach. There's not enough detergent in the world to wash away your sin. You can go and buy everything that Kroger and Meyer and Sam's Club have and pile it up in your bathtub and be washing until Christ comes. You'll still be in sin and condemnation. Your sin, your salvation requires omnipotent power. It requires omnipotent power to remove it. And if God gives His only begotten, it means the begotten also pre existed before He was sent. Jesus did not become the Son of God when He was born by the Holy Spirit. No, he was born in Mary's womb because he was already the son of God. He existed before he was born. So Apostle Paul would say in 1 Timothy 3.16, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by the angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, And received up in glory. So this Jesus. This Jesus. Is the only one. That God has sent. That is able to take away your sin. So why was the son sent? Why was the son sent? It's an important question to ask. Given what is happening in Christendom. Why was Jesus sent? According to Jesus, the son was sent that those who believe in him should not perish, but have eternal life. There are two things that we need to extract from this statement. Jesus tells us that the reason why God sent him was so that through him, man may be delivered from perishing, from death, and from condemnation, and in place of that, to also possess the life that is in Christ. And this life is not just some quality biological life. It's a quality spiritual life that is eternal life. But in it also, Jesus says, and this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So life consists in the knowledge of Christ. True life consists in the knowledge of Christ. And secondly, in that statement, Jesus tells us how we are to attain that life from our own end. We are to attain the life through the means of faith. We are to attain to this life Through the means of faith. Faith is the means, the only instrument, the only way that one can possess the life that is in Christ Jesus. Faith is the only way by which a sinner can be moved from a world that is condemned to a world that is inhabited by life And Jesus is saying, by faith alone, that is the way and the only way that one can be forgiven of their sins. Faith alone, in Christ alone, is the only way that one can be forgiven of their sins. It is saying that faith alone in the Son of God is the only way that one can be justified. There is no other way that you can be justified. You cannot cry enough tears to be justified. God does not move because of your tears. You can wash yourself. You can do all acts of righteousness. God does not consider that. The only thing that has him moving is faith in his own son. But we have to ask the question. How can one who is born dead in trespasses and sins see or believe in Jesus that they may have this life? How is one who is born dead and blind to spiritual things believe in Jesus so as to have eternal life? This is a question that all men should be asking. Men should not be asking, how are we going to be dealing with ISIS? Men should not be asking, how can we balance the budget of our economy? The true question, the real question, and the only question is, how can I possess this life in Christ? How can I possess this life that is in Christ Jesus? Jesus says, they need to be born again. But the ones that are born again are the ones that are called the believing. It is not whosoever As to say, all men have the natural ability in and of themselves to believe in Jesus. It is not saying that all sinners who are dying and who are dead have the ability to make a determination as to come to Christ. It is saying, those that have been born again are the believing. These are the whosoever. The whosoever's are the ones that have been enabled by God through a new birth to believe. The whosoever's are those from among the world, the elect of God, the chosen of God in Christ, the chosen of God from every tribe, tongue, and nation, who have been granted a new birth Faith and repentance. These are the ones that are the whosoever. These are the ones who are the believing. These are the ones who are justified. So faith says, my bowl is empty. It says, my bucket of righteousness is empty. And Jesus, I beg you, Fill my bucket with your own righteousness. Jesus does not fill a bucket that is something in it already. God does not fill a bucket that is something in it. It has to be an empty bucket. Because if you have something in your bucket, guess what? You are boasting. You are going to say, oh yeah, of course I had something in there. I already had something in my bucket, Jesus. You just came and filled it up with whatever you had. But I had something going on. But God does not work like that. The righteousness that he wants has to be 100% his own righteousness. Or there's none. So, people sometimes double speak. They'll say, oh, yes, we are served by faith in Christ. but, but. As soon as they put that but, they are moving away from faith. As soon as they put that but, they are moving away. But what about our works? Like, no. Settle faith first before we talk about your own works. Let's settle faith. Because faith takes everything that is in Christ. Forget your works. Let's work with Christ And then when we have settled things with Christ, then we can talk about you. So Christ alone is the one who can give you the righteousness that you need. And the righteousness that God gives is only given, is only given by grace alone. Because that is the way and the only way that is consistent with A recipient who has nothing. Beggars cannot be choosers. It is consistent with one who is born in a dying world. Born dead in a dying world. Born poor and born blind. One who is under the judgment of condemnation. One who is facing eternal death. Such a one can only be removed from the judgment of execution by an act of grace and never by their own goodness. And so faith in Christ acknowledges that one is surely under the rightful judgment of God and they are holding holding only to Christ so as to be lifted up out of their misery. John 3, 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be served through him. Verse 18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. So God sent his own son not to condemn the world, but that the world might be served through him why because the world was already condemned when Christ came the word the judgment of condemnation was already passed in genesis so the world is already under condemnation Christ is coming not to condemn it some more but to lift those who are condemned out of condemnation so in sending Christ, God was providing a way for sinners to be saved from condemnation. People downplay that. People are becoming too familiar with that. They're becoming too familiar with Christ and they think that when we say, if Christ alone and faith alone, they think we are just being exclusive. We are trying to exclude other people we are trying to exclude some very well meaning people some people who just love God but who just don't think that Christ is the only way that's not the way of salvation Christ thinks he is the only way to the father Christ thinks he is the only way to the father that's non-negotiable when it comes to Jesus So he says, whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So the whole mass of the world is born condemned. But in Christ, a gracious provision has been given that some may be moved from condemnation Life and the way that one is removed from condemnation is by faith alone. And if you believe in Christ by faith alone, God reckons you as being righteous. How because Jesus is your righteousness, because the one who believes is saying. Jesus has performed all that God required of me that I could not do by myself and for myself. It is saying that God has already accepted me as obedient because of Christ. It is saying that God is happy with me because he is happy with Christ and all that Christ has done. So the judgment of whether you die and go to hell or go to heaven is made when you believe or disbelieve the gospel of Jesus Christ. To disbelieve the gospel is the summation of all your sins. Just as to believe in Christ is the summation of all your righteousness. When you believe in Christ, you are taking into your account all the righteousness of Christ. You are taking the condemnation and judgment that God put on Christ on your behalf. You are taking the justification that God put on Christ. And since God has accepted Christ as righteous on your behalf, When you believe in Christ, you are being accepted as righteous in Christ. And not only that, you are taking the satisfaction that God has in Christ. God has been satisfied with the punishment that he poured on Christ. So you are thinking, so my salvation, have I done enough? Is God happy with me? Yes, God is happy with you. If you believe in Christ. Because God is satisfied with Christ. So what about my sin? What about my struggles with sin? And someone will say, I have sinned so much that God will never forgive me. I have sinned so much that God will never forgive me. And someone will say, I continue to struggle with my sin. I have this particular sin that I don't seem to be able to shake myself from. The sin that you can't seem to shake off is the enemy left in the promised land. Is the enemy that God has left in the promised land that you may continue to do what? Keep looking to Christ. It is the sin that continues to drive you to the throne of grace so that you may continue to depend on Christ. And that is exactly the reason why you need to believe in Jesus. And this is the reason why Christ came to live and die for you. The payment that Christ did covers everything that you have done in the past. That you will do now and that you ever do in the future. It covers all the sins of commission, and omission. When Jesus went on the cross, he paid it all. When Christ went on the cross, he actually paid it all. And that is why the gospel is good news. And that is why the gospel is good news. And when you believe in Christ, this is what you are saying. You are saying that God is true in everything that he has said about Christ. In 1 John 5.10, he says, He who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. He who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed the testimony that God has given of his Son. Amen. So the one who does not believe in the only begotten Son of God makes God a liar. And that's not good. That's not Good. Jesus here. In John 3.18. He said the one who believes. Has eternal life. The one who doesn't believe. They have been condemned. They have been condemned. What does that mean? Because. How can Jesus say that? When. When. Judgment has not happened. Because brother Robert is here. How can Jesus come and say, by his believing, he is not condemned. But the one who has not believed has been condemned right now. But God, when did you set the tribunal? When did we have this court case? When did this happen? That is important for us to know. uh, How is God doing that? And why is Jesus saying that? This is what Jesus is saying. He's saying by faith, God reckons you. God sees you as already judged in Christ. God already sees you as already judged in Christ. In Christ, God brought to the present the future judgment. Christ was punished 2,000 years ago. And he, when he was punished... This is something that was supposed to happen after you've died. But God has already performed it in Christ. So that is never ever going to happen to you ever again. So what was supposed to happen to you at the end of the ages, God has already performed in Christ. And we know that at the end of the ages, God is going to resurrect man. But for you, resurrection is not to judgment. And the judgment of the age to come is not judgment to establish whether you are righteous or not. Because your righteousness is already there. Your righteousness is already there for you. And Christ, by dying and paying for your sins, he has already done everything for you. He has resurrected and the Bible teaches that our resurrection is in the resurrection of Christ. And our life is in the life of Christ. So Christ entered into judgment for you, and he already performed for you that which you could never perform. So Apostle Paul will say in Romans 8:30: Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called, whom he called these he also justified. And whom he justified, this he also glorified. And this is all in past tense. Because in the mind of God, it's all done. It's all past tense. In the mind of God, it's all done. So you have nothing to fear in the future. Because God has demonstrated to you that you have already been judged by granting you faith. This is very important. We're going to take a few minutes to talk about it. How do you know that God has judged you? Faith is God's receipt to you to say you have been judged already. Faith is the receipt from God to say all your judgment was done. Faith is the stamp. That the bills, whatever you owed, has been paid. And you do not owe God anything in terms of righteousness. Faith is saying it is well between you and God. So the future judgment for you is not to determine whether you are righteous or not. It is because you are an heir with Christ. And it is for the reading of the final will and testament of the things that Christ had in his will for his people. Christ was given over for our sins, but was raised for justification. Okay? Christ was given over for our sins and raised for justification. And by God giving us faith, He is saying, You have already been accepted. Oh, it's beautiful. God is saying, By the simple act of believing in Christ, you are accepted completely in the beloved. But He also says, But he who does not believe is condemned already. Again, the judgment of condemnation or justification as a legal case is settled in this life. That's important. The judgment of whether you are condemned and you are going to hell or whether you have life and righteousness in Christ is settled here. It doesn't happen beyond the grave. That's what Jesus is saying. He's using present tense language there. Condemnation happens here and judgment to life happens here. The one who does not believe in the son of God has already been judged. And if they go to the grave today without believing in Jesus Christ, they are already good as condemned. So what is happening here? How God works the brilliance of God. God You're talking about multitasking. (laughs) God is the ultimate multitasker. He is performing judgment on you by faith. Simple work. He does all the work of righteousness in one person. And he judges you in that person and tells you that is done. Simple He's done. He's not going to sit with you for another 5,000 hours trying to determine what he did not do and what he did. He says it's all done in Christ. So God uses the instrument of faith to bring about his work of separating people. Faith in Christ is what separates the justified and the condemned. And that is why preaching the gospel is important. Because this is how the sheep are separated from the gods. And see again the basis on which people are condemned. People are not being condemned because they are liberal or conservative, whether they are black or white. It is not because even that they are unrighteous or that they are sinners. That's not the basis. And it is not because they committed suicide. And it is not because they are single or they are divorced or they it is not because they committed adultery. And it is not because they are homosexuals. All that is true. But according to Jesus, this is the judgment. The judgment is that they did not believe in Jesus. Not believing in Jesus is a bigger sin than committing adultery. Amen. The basis for anybody's judgment is that they did not believe in Christ. Why? Because Christ is the summation. He is the summation of all things. Salvation. Salvation rests only On what you say. Who Jesus is. Salvation. Rests only on who you say Jesus Christ is. Why? Because salvation and judgment are about the glory of Christ. God has determined that the basis of condemnation is people's rejection of Christ. Why? Because God is about the glory of Christ. And there's not a single sinner that will be exalted outside the exaltation of Christ Jesus. Condemnation and judgment both stand on the shoulders of Christ. In John 5, to 24, this is what Jesus said. For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son, that all should honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. Amen. So salvation as a work is about honoring God through Jesus Christ. And we have to understand that. Salvation is God's plan right from the beginning to honor Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. So John three nineteen to 21, Jesus would say, and this is the judgment. that is Christ has come into the world and people rejected him. Amen. They rejected Christ and they still reject Christ because they love the darkness of sin. They love the sin that is the sin that is in their heart because sin numbs their conscience to righteousness. Their works are evil. Their works are evil, and that is why they need the darkness to prosper. So, when the apostle is talking about darkness, when Jesus is talking about darkness, he is not talking about the physical darkness. He is talking about the spiritual darkness. He is talking about the spiritual darkness that covers the conscience of people. He is talking about the heart. He is talking about the condition of the heart. And because of that, those who are in darkness, they practice a lot of things that are worthy of death. According to Apostle Paul. But they also give a hearty approval to those who practice those kinds of darkness things. So as a result, those whose deeds are evil hate the light. They hate the moral and spiritual truth. That Jesus brings. They hate not the physical light, but the spiritual light that exposes them as evil doers. So Jesus says in John 3.20. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. Remember, Jesus is still talking to Nicodemus. And Nicodemus says, come to Jesus at night. Darkness. That's the principle. He's coming at night because... That is showing what is in his own heart. It's showing what is in his heart. But the contrast is, Jesus gives a contrast of one who is walking in the light. He said the one who is in the light, their deeds are good. Their deeds are good and they come out clearly that their works may be seen that they are carried out in God. And by this statement, Jesus was giving a contrast of himself. In the world. He is the one whose works are carried out in God. And with that statement, Jesus is also saying, if you truly have the light, you can't profess Christ and continue to live the life of those in darkness. Because he says, if you are of the light, you will have to demonstrate the light so that the deeds can be seen to have been carried out. In God so we've been talking about Nicodemus (laughs) we've been talking about Nicodemus and a new birth and since we are coming to the end of this conversation with Nicodemus someone who has been listening will be wondering so whatever happened to Nicodemus we have had four or five sermons we've been talking about Nicodemus for the past 10 sermons So what happened to brother Nicodemus? Is Nicodemus a brother or he was condemned? In John 7, 45-52, this is what John calls first. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, Why did you not bring him? They were talking about Jesus. The officers answered, No one ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered them, Have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? <laughs> yes, of course, Nicodemus has believed. Mm-hmm. But listen to this. But this crowd that does not know the law is accused, Nicodemus, who had gone to him before and who was one of them, said to them, does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? In verse 52, they replied, Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. We did not get a record of how Nicodemus disappeared from the conversation with Jesus. It looks like Jesus just kept talking, and then the conversation changed, and Nicodemus is gone. But of course, what we know is that Nicodemus had had a mouthful from Jesus. He had had some really hard things that he had to go and think about. But Jesus was not making a suggestion to Nicodemus. Jesus was not making a suggestion to any one of us to say, oh, maybe you may want to get born again. No, you have to be born again. But in John 7, we see Nicodemus. We see Nicodemus interceding for Jesus we see Nicodemus defending his Lord before the chief priests and the Pharisees. Nicodemus has broken rank. Nicodemus has broken rank with them. He is not one of their own anymore. And it's funny that they asked, have any of the authorities or the Pharisees Believed in him, because Nicodemus was one of the authorities of the Pharisees. But Nicodemus stands up and says to the chief priests and Pharisees, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? Nicodemus has spoken with Jesus and has heard some sayings from Jesus. And he has learned that there is more to Jesus than just a good teacher sent from God. Nicodemus is now standing up in the light. He is in the light. And what is he doing? His deeds are being seen that he is of the light because he's on the side of light. So he sides with Jesus. He sides with Jesus because Nicodemus has been born again. He has received a new birth. But here what Apostle John also gives about what happened to Nicodemus in John 19, 38 forty. After this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took the body of Jesus. Nicodemus, who had first come to him by night, also came, bringing a mixture of mare and aloes, about a hundred pounds weight. Then they took the body of Jesus and bound it in strips of linen with the spices, as the custom of the Jews is to bury. Nicodemus has been given a new birth because his Lord. Has been lifted up. He has seen. The death and burial of his Lord. And so he comes to bury him. You don't come to bury Jesus. If you hate Jesus. He now associates. Not with the Pharisees. But with his Lord. Who taught him to see. And receive. The kingdom of God. Nicodemus You must be born again in order to see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus, unless the Son of Man is pierced and the water and blood come out from his side, you will no way see the kingdom of God. Now, Nicodemus, you have seen the kingdom of God. Nicodemus, you have been saved from this world. Nicodemus, you belong to me. And I came for you. Nicodemus, you have believed. And you are not condemned. Nicodemus, you possess eternal life. And you too. Come to Christ. And he will do for you what he has done for Nicodemus. He will give you his life and his righteousness and this only by believing in him why because of john 3 16 for god so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life amen, amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. do you receive it amen. <laughs> I'm going to pull a jaw or on you. <laughs> <laughs> Praise, the Praise the Lord. That's the gospel of John. The gospel according to John is all about believing. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, we say all that to say, just believe in Christ. Mm-hmm. And we would have a one-minute sermon. Amen. That's all there is to it. <laughs> okay, uh, let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before a throne. Lord, we honor you. We thank you uh, for teaching us today about salvation, about what you have done for us to grant us life, to grant us a new birth that we may attain to the righteousness of God in Christ. Lord, to give us faith as a receipt, that our bills were fully paid for in Christ Jesus. And this is wonderful news, and this is much blessed news. And I pray, Lord, that your people may see it for what it is, that they may see the glory of being accepted for all of eternity for nothing that they could pay, for nothing that they could do for themselves, and yet they are going to find themselves standing before you holy and blameless only because of what christ has done may he be glorified in all of eternity lord we pray and thank you in his precious name amen